Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I am joined today with Peter the DeMeo. Hey, everybody. And Melissa the Kavanaugh. Howdy ho. And Misha the Bukikio. Hey, everybody. You're not very chatty today, guys. I'm deep in thought. Okay. We're watching the track of the massive Hurricane Irma and trying to figure out where it's going to go. Irma good. Irma good. Irma good. Irmageddon is the other hashtag I've seen used a lot. Yeah. Definitely our thoughts and prayers that go out to everyone that's affected by this. We look like we may have dodged a bullet here in Myrtle Beach, but I know our friends down in Florida in the Caribbean are not so lucky. So hopefully we will, everyone weathers the storm okay and we wish everyone a speedy recovery. But... On with the show. As always, we're here to entertain, delight, and stimulate your brain cells. And this is one of Melissa's episodes. We always like Melissa's episodes. They always do really well. And we thought, seeing as last week, we did five myths that we wanted to bust, because it was the Breaking Bad advertising episode from Misha, this week we're going to flip it on its head and we're going to do five unbelievable, totally amazing, blow-your-mind facts that will change the way you do digital marketing. And you should apply the knowledge you gain from today today, immediately and you will have a much better life. Right, Melissa? That is some very high <laughs> promises that I hope we can live up to. Yeah. Is fact number one that clickbait gets clicked? Because yes, it is. I feel like we're doing that with our title and I'm not ashamed. That's, that's exactly right. We're playing the game that we have to play, right? So I don't know that these facts really are truly unbelievable like the title says, but they're facts that have been corroborated by data and that you can definitely take some insight from it and apply it to your digital marketing. So that's what we do here at the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. So before we jump into that, what's going on in the newsies, guysies? So I have an article from seoroundtable.com. Given that it is from SEO Roundtable, I'm sure you can guess this is about SEO. Oh, man. I was hoping it was about roundtables. Well, they... <laughs> and like some nights at the roundtable? Yeah, great. King Arthur stuff. I think that's another portion of the website. I don't know. This is on the SEO portion of the website. Okay. So it's SEO and roundtables. Yes. Okay. It's awesome. very niche specific. Yeah. Okay. So on the seoroundtables.com, they have an article pertaining to hotels, which caught my intrigue and this website's really well known for just people catching things in the wild and posting screenshots and just kind of collecting feedback so this was about um, google hotel search and someone noticed that google is now testing having a room specific carousel in hotel search results now i personally have not been able to replicate this but they do have some screenshots in there if you want to check it out it looks like somebody was searching for trump international so one of his hotels and it's showing a carousel with photos and some descriptions that you can actually scroll through. This is on a mobile device and it is obviously integrated with Google hotel ads. So somebody could presumably click on this and go through the entire booking process while having a little bit more of a visual um, experience. So not at all surprising that Google is continuing to do some testing. Not at all surprising that you can book through here as they're trying to really push this product. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And if anybody happens to see it, you know, let us know and maybe tweet us a photo or two because we're curious. I am divided in my opinion on this one. Ooh, hot takes. Yeah, so 
Half of me is, you know, another carousel from Google. They keep trying different carousels, right? They have, Stop trying to make carousel happen, Google. It's not yeah, going to happen. It, yeah. You'll, it's like fetch, trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen, right? Any, anyone Mean Girls fan? That was there? my reference. Okay. No. Oh, is that, okay. Sorry. That was lost on me. I took, Come on. I took, okay. Never mind. You made the first reference. Come on, Glenn Coco. I, I was the explainer. No references for you, Glenn Coco. Yeah. Captain Obvious. Sorry. All right. So... They've tried carousels in pay-per-click, right? In, in AdWords, they tried some images. We were on the beta for that. They've tried it in, in the destination side. They've tried it with the hotels. This is just another one. And everyone previously has been in some kind of beta, and then they've kind of phased it out, right? So I don't know if this is really going to amount to anything. I think it's, it's a good idea for the consumer, especially if they are searching for a specific um, pro, uh, room type, which we're seeing more and more search volume for that that kind of keyword but it makes me nervous because now google is making creating more ui further up the the funnel and further down the funnel right so this is a step towards them having a fully functional booking engine beyond just linking out to individual um, booking engines for the properties with gha are they getting to the point where they're going to be fulfilling the entire transaction, right? Because right now, GHA is more like a meta search. But is this them becoming more like an OTA? They haven't done it with flights yet, though. I mean, they've been serving up flight information. You still really book directly with the airline. You do. Yeah. I don't know. It makes me a little nervous, especially as you know, we, we provide a third-party booking engine. That's one of our, our yes. products, you know, this... This could mean that there's not a space for that kind of product in the future for third-party booking engines. But I think we're a little ways off. It could be Google dipping their toe. So on, on you know, half of me is like, my left half is like, meh, another carousel. Let's see what happens. And then my right half is like, oh, my lordy. Well, we know as hotel marketers that the thing that people want to see are photos and specifically room photos. So I think it's smart of Google. And at the end of the day, they're trying to give the user the best experience. So if they know that's what people want to see, I think it makes sense to put it in front of them. But I completely agree with you that they're taking over a lot more real estate when it comes to the entire funnel. So this could mean more commission that's going to Google. And it's more incentive for more hotels to get on GHA. GHA, And we've seen some pretty incredible returns. I mean, in the month of August, I have, you know, one group of properties. On average, they had a 750-ish percent return on Google Hotel ads. Right. And those, you got to assume that those people, if you weren't there, are going to book through whatever the person publishing the race is. They're going through the OTA, right? So I agree. And this this is huge. The screenshots, if you check them out, it's on mobile. It, I mean, it's a good chunk of the screen. So this is pushing your organic down further, and it really plays into the OTA's hands if you're not participating on GHA. I mean, to me, it looks like Google sees how much money is being made in the travel space between the OTAs, the direct bookings, everything else. And the more they can put there, the more they can get their hands on that money. They see how much the OTAs are paying them already. Yeah. Yeah, and OTAs are such a big revenue generator for for Google right now. But you've got to think somewhere at the high up on Google, on the travel team, they've had conversations about, well, what if the OTAs didn't exist? Could we disintermediate mm-hmm. them? Could we become that third party? Because if they can, it's a lot more money. Because right now they're getting the 
cost per click, right? And and the OTAs are probably giving them, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of the commission they're making. But the OTAs are still making a profit from spending that money on those ads. So what if Google now gets the inventory directly from the properties, which they're beginning to do more and more through GHA, cuts out the middleman, they can take a bigger amount, still less than the OTAs are taking. So the hotels, hotels are going to be all about that. And then Google makes more of a profit. But how do they do that without alienating one of their biggest revenue generators in the OTAs? Piece so by piece. By putting out little mm-hmm. tests like this. That's exactly how they do it. And the irony is the people testing it are the OTAs. They're the ones that are, you know, fulfilling the inevitable prophecy. You know, and I, I I have mixed feelings on this too, just with the, is Google becoming an OTA? Can they cut out the OTAs from their revenue stream? But I feel like if the OTAs were to completely disappear from Google, that's going to hurt them just as much as it's going to hurt Google not having that money. No question. If they were to flip a switch tomorrow, it would be catastrophic for everyone, right? The consumer included. But that's why if, if Google's smart, which I'd go out on a limb and say Google's pretty mm. smart, they're going to do it piece by piece, which... This is a piece. This is an important piece of it. So, um, I, I, again, it, it isn't widespread. We haven't personally seen it in the wild. It's been reported in limit limited fashion on a few websites about roundtables, but you know, it, it it could become something bigger. And this could be applied to really anything. I mean, obviously, rooms the most obvious first choice, but you could have amenity carousels, dining carousels. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets a carousel. <laughs> they're going to be the Oprah of carousels. So, mm-hmm. just another way they're taking up more space and making it more money. Exactly. What's the next newsy? Well, I've got a news item here from Reuters. No, no, you have to call it newsy. Oh, I have a newsy. There you go. Uh, or this is a pretty short article, so this is a newslet. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's entitled "Hotel Tonight Faces Off with Expedia and Priceline with Advanced Bookings." Ooh. Yeah. So, Hotel Tonight. When do you think they typically book a hotel for? Tonight. The same day bookings, right? They're beginning starting next month, to allow for 100-day advanced bookings. Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of Hotel Tonight? Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, I think this is what we would Hotel call... Hotel 100 days? We would call a pivot. Yes. Meaning Ooh. that their current business model is not working for them, and they have to make a drastic change. Yes, and they are... One thing that's nice about Hotel Tonight is it is an independent OTA. You know, they're not one of the, you know, the big two groups. Yet. Yet. So that tells me that they're trying to do a lot of changes to either, one, make themselves more appealing to be acquired. Because this is a startup, and you know that's kind of the point of startups in most cases, to, to find someone to buy them out. But also, they are looking to grow. I mean, right now, they only have 25,000 hotels on their platform compared to 1.2 million that Priceline group has. So. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is this is a smart play for them if the end game is to get bought out. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to expand their reach, and and we've got clients that dabble with Hotel Tonight, but to be honest, they don't have the strength. You know, Mm-mm. it it's you if if it worked well, and I had distressed inventory I needed to get rid of because up until now it's been forty eight hours basically right. is what you could book. It is it's it's not really tonight. It's tonight and tomorrow for the most part, and. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't move the needle like it needs to. So if I have a mm-hmm. bunch of inventory and I put some there, it's probably not going to move nearly as much inventory as an Expedia would if I just dump my rate a little bit, right? So that's that's kind of how people are going about their business. 
And it's not something that they're going to keep managing every day because they don't need to dump inventory for the next 48 hours every day. It's just certain periods, right? So it becomes an afterthought because things like Expedia and Priceline, Hotels.com, these are things I'm managing every day because I'm always putting future inventory out there and, and looking at my forecasts and stuff like that. So this makes Hotels.com more relevant every day than it was. So maybe they'll get more hotels for that reason. And hopefully they'll get more customers too because the same equation that the hotels use where they don't really think about hotel tonight because you know it's last minute. A customer is typically not booking last minute within a day or two days. Right. If you're continually that late planning anything, your life is kind of a mess. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, this this they, maybe they're helping their customers get a better foothold on planning in their life by yeah. saying, "Hey, book out farther. Plan your That's life." That's right. Hey, procrastinate. <laughs> yeah. Don't wait. Yeah, I agree. I mean, by 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 limiting the amount of inventory to the next 48 hours, it definitely cuts off a huge section of the marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, a number of Melissa as a planner would never ever book last minute right that is almost 100 percent true you, she would be having palpitations right now if she was going somewhere tonight and didn't have a well, it's a limited audience it's obviously not like they're not targeting the melissa of the world it's probably more of a business traveler who's got a last minute trip uh people who get evacuated for a hurricane and have to find a hotel it's a limited audience so but even if you're those people you're going to the places where you've booked last time. For oh, sure. Yeah. I booked and where has more sure. inventory? Where has 1.5 oh, yeah. million yeah. hotels versus 25,000? So I, I think inevitably they had to do this in some form. And, and you know, I would say within if, if they're successful in growing their market share, at some point one of the big two will mop them up because that's the pattern we've seen mm -hmm. again and again in the OTA industry. I have two short comments on this. First one is whenever I did my hotel app review where I reviewed every single hotel app, hotel app out there. This one was one of my favorites. So from at least that perspective, they're doing a good job. Yeah, in the UI is great. A it great really UI. Is like, yeah. And it's, they mentioned that in the article that they feel that their ability to be nimble and scrappy and change from a mobile perspective is going to be kind of what gives them a competitive advantage over the two. Oh, other yeah. Sure. And then from a targeting perspective, yeah. I've always found it interesting. Not saying that I've been there. I haven't been there, but... On dating apps, they are one of the primary advertisers. So, oh, that's interesting. Do, do they advertise for whole nights or just like hourly stays? <laughs> as far as I know, just the whole night. But I actually wouldn't know. So, but just interesting placement choice. That's anecdotally, you've heard this. Yeah. Yes. So, so maybe Tinder is also looking to buy them out. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right, do we have another Newsy? Oh Hotelbythehour.com. I don't feel like you, you guys are buying into Newsy. I feel like we might have to kill that after this episode. Mm, yeah. nah. Keep trying to make fetch happen, Stuart. <laughs> hey, what movie is that from? Mean Girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you have one? I'll go. Okay. I'll go. Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. This is from Search Engine Land. Um, it has something to do with search engines and, and land. Can you buy <laughs> land? You might be able to buy land, about land. Uh, the article is that Google responds to Apple's intelligent tracking prevention with AdWords tracking update is a really long title that says a lot of things. And basically I have to say, when I read this article, I jumped on my jump to conclusions, Matt, and used it the whole wrong way. So what the article is saying is that 
Apple is using this intelligent tracking prevention, ITP, to basically in help the consumer who is using Safari on a mobile phone, which anybody who has an iPhone is probably using Safari, um, and to prevent people from tracking them from site to site to site to retarget them. In the process, though, this kind of screws Google in their tracking of AdWords. And they, Google is now saying, oh, we've got a workaround for this. We're working with Apple. We're changing our cookies so that it works with Google Analytics, which is a first-party cookie, so that we will be able to continue to track conversions on AdWords. Yes. Now, this is very technical, and it's going to hurt a lot of people's heads, right? It, it, third-party cookies in general already hurt a lot of people's heads. I prefer homemade cookies, personally. Cookies are yummy. That's the first <laughs> thing everyone should know about this conversation. Second thing, I, I want to try to kind of explain it in, in, in layman's terms so, so it's easier to understand. All right, right? you got two, two minutes. Go. All right. So a cookie is a piece of information stored on the person's computer right all cookies are the same first party second party third party nth person's party cookie they're all the same it's just information and it's another way of identifying your specific machine and you as a user right so where where we get first party versus third party is who's accessing the cookie right so when a website loads i i, I load misha's catsandwine.com right and misha's cats and wine writes a cookie to the machine and tries to request information from that cookie that's first party but then if there's another third party that's trying to access information from a cookie though they wrote when misha's cat site loads then that's a third party cookie right it, it wrote it at some point either through that site or when you went to their site the first time great example of that is facebook if you go to facebook.com they're going to write a cookie on your machine but then if i then go to misha's site in facebook code is on that site and it tries to access the cookie it already wrote that's a third-party cookie right so google analytics right now is a first-party cookie so because even though it's google accessing the data your website is what writes and reads the data so google the little tracking code you put on the back end of your website that's google code telling your site how to write and read the cookie and then google grabs it from you so they're not grabbing it directly from the machine so that's a first party cookie where this comes into play the itp stuff um, is really trying to target not analytics trackers but people that are trying to retarget you by collecting information from multiple sites so if misha's cat site had written a cookie and then you went to Pete's B site and Pete's B site tried to read information, then that's where they're trying to block it, right? So it gets a little squirrely there because you're dealing with multiple sites and what, who it's really going to affect is the, the advertisers, the, the display advertising platforms. So people that are trying to collect information about how you behave on Misha's site and Pete's site and then use that to target ads to you. That's who Apple is trying to block right now. They're trying to stop people snooping on your behavior across the web to leverage the information they gain to then sell you stuff from other people. That's what they're trying to block. So in the case of AdWords, which is an advertising platform, what Google's trying to do is say, if you connect your AdWords account to your Google account, Google then, Analytics. your Google Analytics account, then we can match the data up. So we know who clicked 
and they probably got some kind of Google identifier. And then when they come to Google Analytics, we can match that up so they can get around the system. And Apple said, this is okay. We're going to allow this. So you don't need to worry. This isn't going to affect your Google Analytics. This isn't going to affect any kind of tracking you're doing. Who it's going to affect is these third parties that are trying to remarket and retarget through some kind of ad network. But if your AdWords is not connected to your Google Analytics account, there's going to be some cattywampusness going on. Which it should be. Which it should be. Always, always do that. Yeah. If you have an AdWords account and a Google Analytics account, go connect the two. It's really easy to do. If you don't know how to do it, just go to Google and say, how do I connect my AdWords account to my Google Analytics account? It's super easy. And they did send out an email about this, probably more than one email about this. Um, We've gotten them. So anybody who's connected to your AdWords account should have this information. There's tons of links in there with resources and different tips, and it'll go as nerdy or as not nerdy as you want. So just be on the lookout for those emails as well. So there's going to be a lot of fear-mongering about ITP over the next few weeks. Just ignore it. If you're connecting your AdWords and your Google Analytics, you don't need to worry about it. A Don thing. But it's a good chance for you to go make sure everything is set up properly. You know, so it kind of uses as a reminder to check in, make sure everything is good to go with your web development team and move on. Which is what we're going to do now. Good segue, Peter. You're welcome. So let's move on to the topic, Melissa. You want to introduce this? Well, I think you've already introduced it. It's five unfreaking believable hotel marketing facts that you need to know. That's yeah. All. If you're sitting down, stand up right now because you're going to need to sit down when you listen to this <laughs> stuff. That's right. Since I am all about the data and all about the facts, I took this opportunity to go dig up some facts. No about more some false data. news today. No false news today. And came up with some hopefully five useful pieces of information that you can put to use today. So shall I start with fact number one? If you'd like. I mean, you can start reverse order if you'd prefer. But I kind of like to go in dramatic. order. I yeah. I, I, I have to go in order. We've got to go one, 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 one. And we'll do that after every number. Fact one. One, one, one. (laughs) Fact number one is the following. Experience, not price, is what drives early travel plans. And by the way, there are links to my fact finding in each one of these facts. So, you know, I didn't just make them up because we know that 85% of internet facts are made up, but these are not. So you can find those links in the show notes. Unless the person that you're linking to made up. That's true. But I have no control over that. Okay. But I mean, we're getting these from authoritative sites, right? Yes, we are. Okay. All right. So according to Expedia Media Solutions, the travel experience itself matters more early in the decision-making process. 65% of consumers are influenced by content published by brands and destinations when they're making travel plans. In fact, in the 45 days leading up to a booking, the average American visits travel sites 140 times. 140 travel sites. That seems really high. It does seem really high, but there's a source associated with that fact too. Mm-hmm. I did not make it up. So that's a lot of opportunity that you have a chance to get your message about your brand out to a consumer early on and drive what is important about your property and your experience. And your destination, right? Because I think that's the mistake a lot of people make, which is they assume that they're already going to, they've decided they're coming to this destination. Which and that's not We're true. seeing an ever-increasing number of people that they're, they're trying to decide, I'm on a vacation, I have this time, where should I go? What should I do? So that that's what the argument is, is 
don't overlook the experience. And you look at the places like Airbnb and what they've done to really expand the experience side. Uh, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about that in the show and in the office about all the little things you can add on to an Airbnb now. But yeah, d- tell people why they should stay with you, what they get out of it, what the value is, not just from a price perspective, but the experience side as well. I mean, other than your business traveler, that's the only reason a leisure travel goes someplace is for the experience. I just go to get sleep. I go I go to a hotel. So you don't to travel sleep. with your family. You go to get away from your family <laughs> yeah. just to sleep. Yeah. I tell them that I have a business trip, but really it's a, a leisure trip and I just go sleep. It's leisure. <laughs> Make up words. Don't use that word again. Ever, it's a portmanteau word, right? It is a portmanteau word. Call back. Go listen to episode yeah. I don't remember. It was an early one. It was an we early one. Portmanteau. All right, go ahead. So what do we do if if we need to make so the we, experience more important? We have a few little tidbits of help. So one is you can certainly use social media targeting, retargeting, and lookalike audiences to reach your consumer in what you believe is your target market. Facebook is my favorite advertising place. It has so many targeting options that are so awesome to help you reach people. And I just published a guide to the Facebook Pixel shameless plug. You should go read that. But... Like using the pixel. You want to tell people where you posted that so they know? Um, On the fueltravel.com website. So fueltravel.com slash blog. And then you'll see Misha's post. Sorry, it it is not on nishascastandwine.com. Sorry for the confusion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, social media is super awesome for this. And this might be a good use for some display advertising. But to me, the most important thing is to make sure that your website is absolutely the top, most kick-ass website for content that explains why your property is awesome and what people can you know, expect at your property that is different than everywhere else. Oh, I got some ideas. Oh? You could put photography, <gasps> showing people what? experiencing stuff on your website. Not a porta potty And, no, not a porta potty <laughs> that's another callback another callback and or you could put video video of people talking about the experience would be a phenomenal asset on your website that's do groundbreaking do all those things do all of them mm-hmm. now we're not saying to clarify we're not saying price is not important you want to you want to maintain parity across your channels you want to make sure you're in line with your product in your market for sure but what we're saying is tell your story. Tell the, tell people what the experience is going to be like and offer a unique experience. You know, we've talked before on the show about properties that do things like campfire story nights and, and stuff like that, that that aren't expensive, that aren't hard operationally to pull off, but they set you apart. As, as millennials and Gen Xs become the majority of people, that this is what they're looking for more and more is unique experiences. So that's great. I like services like flip Two and you know, other systems like that, that bring the customer experience right to the website into social. I mean, if you look at the performance we typically see out of that type of platform, it, it blows the doors off in terms of conversion rates and it's attracting people who aren't necessarily planning a vacation but you're targeting the people who are friends of the people who are on vacation. You're inspiring them to make the choice to travel. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people miss the opportunity to get the guests' feedback at the right time, the right kind of feedback, right? Because everyone, when they leave the hotel, they're so quick to worry about the operational side, like were the rooms clean, blah, 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 right? It's like a, 
a very vanilla, very clinical survey that they send out. And, and a lot of hotels now are using that to maybe even compensate staff based on the results and things like that. What I personally think is a better approach, I think you can get to that data, but I don't think you have to do it immediately. A better thing to do when someone's first left the property, if you know they've had a good time because you you create a great experience, ask them to share their favorite memories. Ask them to tell you what it was that they loved most about their vacation and submit a photo or a video to go along with that. That's what sites like Flip2 allow or pro, software like Flip2 allows you to do, but you could do it on your own as well and then use that as content that you can then share to your social networks and on your website and that's going to entice more and more people to show other people the experience that peers had and people that look and sound like them had. That's going to be more powerful than saying I've got a 20% discount if you book early. Good fact. Ready for fact two? Yeah, at least two. Facts two, or two, fact, two, two, two. Facts, factoids. Factoids. Factets. Factlets. Factlets. Let's call them factlets. I like that, Pete. I, no. <laughs> Overruled. Right. It's my never... show today. I say no. Apparently we offended okay. Melissa with factlets. Hey, talking of offending Melissa. <laughs> I like the Omni channel. <laughs> How, how's your um, leaky pad doing? Oh, well, as it turns out, not only did I have a leaky pad, I had multiple leaky pads and several dried up pads. Oh, I mean, that is the, it was the one two punch right there. Yeah, a leaky pad and tough. a dried up pad? Uh, that's classic clarinet repairman speak right there. They go for one thing and then they try to sell right. you, sell you, sell you. Probably because she's a woman. It Rob, is. Yeah. That's right. Mm. <laughs> But it's all fixed now, and now I sound amazing. So what is the next song that we're going to hear on the We podcast? didn't get any more I requests. Know. I can't believe it. I, Out of the millions and millions of listeners to this show, not one person's requested a song. Okay, I have a request. Um, can we get Gin and Juice? <gasps> I don't even know what that is. What? <laughs> the Snoop Dogg version or the country version? The redneck version? I didn't even know there was more than one version. Yeah, so. that... There's a really cool, like, I don't like country music, but there's a cool country version. But, yeah, I'd go with the Snoop Dogg version. I'm frightened. All right. We're going to do that next. But if, <laughs> if, if you want to request a song from Melissa on the clarinet, then just send it to info at fueltravel.com. And we will do our best to, to do that on a future show. All right. Sorry. All right. Num- number two fact. Fact two. Yeah. Do, 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 Not so surprising. Do, do. 95% of travelers read reviews before booking. Imagine that. People like to read reviews about hotels before 95%. they 95%. 95%. And as it turns out, leisure travelers read an average of six to seven reviews, and business travelers read an average of five. I thought it would that number would be higher, honestly. On the total number of reviews? I people getting like lost in TripAdvisor. I, I don't make up the facts like it's when you're on instagram and you're like stalking somebody and you're like eight well, nine pages yeah. down and you like accidentally like their photo i don't know it depends on what your definition of <laughs> it's a very specific <laughs> example it depends Happens. on your definition of red you know because you kind of scan the scores yeah. like you but you're only going to drill and read a few like you, know? you see that one star you're like this gonna be good <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how i talk <laughs> yeah exactly like that uh, but no, 95%. And that number, the, the interesting thing about 95% number is that it's going up, right? We've we- definitely heard that number thrown out before and it just continues to Yeah, increase. I mean, when we did our travel study a couple of years ago, it was 86, 87%, I think, of the people we surveyed. 
And so I, I definitely feel like we're getting close to where pretty much everyone, 95% is basically the only 5% that aren't reading reviews are people that are probably staying at the same property year after year after year after year. Well, illiteracy is still a problem. I was about to say, they could be from my home <laughs> yeah. state. They're from Mississippi. <laughs> oh, no. What? So. Wasn't going to throw out my yeah. home state, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, so how important are reviews, guys? 95%. Super duper. Yeah. I'd say that. Do you think this will ever important. get to 100%? Uh, no. There's always going to be a percentage of people that yeah. is not going to read reviews. But, uh, I mean, it's... The limit does not exist. <laughs> but if you're a hotel and you're not being very proactive with your reviews, basically you're just kind of, you know, playing a craps game. You don't know what's going to happen. If you're not out there finding out what people are thinking and improving upon your resort with those reviews, you are absolutely missing out. All your marketing can be fantastic but you have one or two one star reviews none of that will matter and and even if it's not one star even if it's three and four star mm-hmm. right it can affect you because it's about relative in in mm-hmm. the in your market because people aren't reading your reviews in isolation a lot of times they're reading them in comparison to your comp set and they're, they're looking at price and offering and then the reviews, right? And they're kind of making a decision based on this. A lot of people are willing to spend a little bit more for better reviews. But if you're a four star and there's a four and a half star that's cheaper than you, that's going to be a problem. So you could be a great property with great reviews, no one star reviews, all fours and fives. But if someone has better reviews and is priced lower, that's going to impact mm-hmm. your direct bookings. Yeah, and I think a lot of people focus on TripAdvisor for obvious reasons. But I actually stumbled upon an article today with Travel Tripper, who we have done or are doing soon a webinar with. Um, and they had a great article about how it's not just TripAdvisor. There are other top sites that should at least be on your radar and that you should be watching. So obviously Yelp being one of them, Facebook reviews, Google reviews. And there are products that you can use out there that can help you gather all of those in one place so there are solutions to help you make the management of this better and make responding a little bit easier and there are you know ways to make it more automated but it's not just TripAdvisor. there are other review sites that people are looking at for sure and you know i I think i haven't seen or come across a property in a long time the way they used to be like a lot of hotels used to be head in the stand and they used to try to ignore reviews and they hated TripAdvisor. And they try to ignore it and hope it would go away. I think most hotels now have at least accepted the fact, whether they like TripAdvisor or not, they've accepted the fact that it's here to stay and it's important. So I think most people are paying attention, but you've got you to gotta be proactive about it, right? You've got to make sure that the experience itself is such that it in, incentivizes positive reviews but that you also have mechanics in place to try to prevent negative reviews. So making sure that you're engaging with your guests during the stay and finding out how the experience is. And if there is a problem, trying to fix it before they leave because that's going to have a massive impact on the reviews once they've left the property. You know, most of the time when somebody leaves a negative review, it's not like their intention is not to hurt the property. It's just they need somebody to complain to and the internet's a great place to do that. So if you can get in front of them before that happens... yeah. Agreed. And I would also say that it's important to actually have reviews on your website. 
Absolutely. Because you, if a visitor, if a potential consumer is already on your website, you already know that 95% of people are going to go look for reviews. Why not give it to them on your website before they go to TripAdvisor or somewhere else or end up at, at, at Expedia? And now you're going to pay, not only potentially lose them to an OTA and pay 15% commission, you might lose them to a competitor at that point. Yeah. Completely. For sure. I don't understand the reluctance to put reviews on, on one's own website. Like, I understand the reluctance. I don't agree with it, but I understand it because I feel like people are afraid if they've got, for example, a, a three-star TripAdvisor review and they're afraid that people going to their website are going to see bad reviews. But your focus should be on why am I getting bad reviews exactly. and why? how can I prevent this? Like, You shouldn't be angry at the bad reviews. You should be angry at your property for providing a bad experience. 100%. Amen. Preach, Sorry sister. if I just stole the words out of your mouth, but no. I was like waiting for it. Absolutely. No, I agree 100%. Couldn't have said it better. All right. Moving on to fact three. Three. Yes. Three, three, three. three all right. Three, 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 the word we all love to say, millennials. I thought it was going to be omni-channel. Oh. No, we don't love to say that word. Okay. Millennials are more likely to book via a smartphone. Shocking. 66% of millennial travelers say that they believe that they can find the same darn hotel information regardless on a desktop or a mobile device. Imagine that. You could find the same information. Um, and we all... It's almost as if it's like one website uh, that like what? scales down or something. I know. Uh, 64% say they typically book a hotel room on a smartphone after shopping for one. 64%. So if they've shopped for a hotel, they will book it on the same device. And two-thirds of travelers are actually comfortable uh, planning an entire trip. So that would mean airline, rental cars, whatever, food, all the activities from soup to nuts on a smartphone. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, the study was millennials, right? But what, let's label this how it really is. Anyone that's comfortable with technology, which, which is millennials primarily because they've grown up with nothing but technology but really most gen x's at this point too and a good many boomers and even older are getting more and more comfortable with technology to the point where mobile is so comfortable that it's where we're transacting everything you know we talked about this on the last episode so i hate to be redundant but i think if you're just tuning in for the first time to our show i think it's important we're doing our banking on our mobile phones how many people have made some kind of transaction on whether it's Amazon or a Pizza Hut app or something like that? People are buying freaking mortgages on a mobile phone now with Rocket Mortgage, right? We're doing everything on a mobile phone that we used to do on a desktop. It's the norm. Any kind of security concern no longer exists. That was one of the barriers for mobile phones. So the only thing limiting the success of your bookings on a mobile device is the friction that you create in the transaction. So if you have a website that is not mobile friendly, or if you have a booking engine that makes people jump through hoops on a mobile device, you're not going to get that many mobile bookings, right? It, it makes sense. You're creating unnecessary barriers. But guess what? If you have a kick-ass mobile website and an amazing mobile experience in your booking engine, <clears throat> like Guest Desk, our booking engine, guess what? You can get more bookings on a mobile device than you can on a desktop because that is the device of choice today. We're no longer living in this weird world where people were doing research 
on their mobile phone and then switching over to their desktop. Sure, some people do that, but the preference is not to do that. The preference is to have no friction so that you can actually book on the device you start the research on. So go get a mobile site and go get a mobile booking engine today. It's yeah. amazing. And I, as the token millennial in the room, you know, I'll chime in here. I definitely think it's important to have a kick-ass mobile-friendly website and a mobile-friendly booking experience. Everything needs to be mobile-friendly. I think the one advantage that, say, an Airbnb or an Expedia that has a dedicated app and you have a, a guest profile, we'll call it, that has a little bit of an advantage over in a one-off hotel site just because, you know, if I go to Airbnb, I'm pretty comfortable booking because it's that much faster because I don't have to enter in all my information again. It just feeds, it's, I push a button, right? right? So keeping that in mind with when you're setting up your booking engine and you're collecting information, keeping that as concise as possible and really only getting the absolute minimum amount of information that you need is just going to make it that much easier for people to book. Yeah. And offering multiple payment options, right? If someone doesn't want to put in their phone or their credit card number. Oh my gosh. Pay with PayPal. Please let me pay with PayPal. Give them a PayPal option. Let me log in with Facebook and pay with Google wallet or Amazon, whatever. There's so many different payment options out there now that, that really eliminate any of that friction of having to holy crap, I've got to put in 16 numbers yeah. now. Like for me, that's the biggest barrier with, I have booked on Airbnb the app before, been super happy with it, but looking at hotel websites, just having to enter in all that information manually for me is just a, yeah. a, make, a barrier. Make it easy where you can. Like if someone, someone has to put in their address, have them put in the zip first, and then you can get the city and state from the zip. They don't have to manually enter it, right? So just being smart and getting ahead of, you know, you know the guest wants to do this as easily as possible. Make it as easy as possible for them. Don't make them jump through hoops. But like we've said before on the show, we're seeing clients for the first time in the last two or three months where mobile bookings are outpacing desktop bookings for folks that have a great mobile experience. So we live, we live today in a mobile-first world. The only reason that some people aren't booking on your mobile is because you don't have a great mobile experience. Even when we first rolled out this podcast, we were definitely in the mindset of we're still seeing people moving between devices and they're doing research on their mobile and switching over to desktop. And now, I mean, that's simply not the case. See, I think we were wrong then too. I I think there wasn't the, I mean, technology evolves. We looked at it and said, oh, people are doing this. But mm-hmm. the question is, is why were people doing this? It's yeah. because True. their experience that they had on the mobile device was not conducive to booking. Yeah, and I so agree. they were forced to go elsewhere. They didn't yeah. want to. It wasn't that they were uncomfortable with the idea of booking on a phone. It was just we made it uncomfortable for them to do so. Yeah. And to be fair, screen sizes have gotten a little bit bigger in recent mm-hmm. years. So it is a little bit easier versus like the, the iPhones two years ago where it's like, oh, I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did what marketers tend to do, which is they, they kind of rationalize behavior the way they want to rationalize it. So they, what are you doing? I was raising my hands like I don't know what to uh, do. Ricky Bobby did. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, don't know what to do with my hands. I am hands. full so of Misha movie quotes today. I know the movie. Sorry. <laughs> you just, just completely distracted me in the, out of the corner of my eye to see you kind of raising your hands. They pushed you off the bizarre. plinth. I completely lost where I am. Are we on number four yet? We're on We're number, number four. Four, four, sure. four, 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 four. All right. Number four is AR, VR, and wearables are emerging travel disruptors. Humbug. It's true. Okay. It's true. Convince according me. To, oh, no. According to Adobe Digital Insights, 
they did an analysis of 321 million, million with an M, social engagements. And they are saying that at least eight of the largest hotels have tested some kind of VR experience in recent months. And most of those experiences were paired with consumers' mobile devices. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that sample size. I, it's very small. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only 321 million. It's not million. statistically significant. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's happening. Now, it doesn't say who those eight hotels are, but... It's definitely not Hilton and Marriott. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not those two. Certainly. Yeah, so it, it's it's coming. It's there. Maybe it's not being accepted worldwide by every single property yet, but now is the time to start thinking about it if you're not. All right, so here's the thing, right? So we, we've said on this podcast before, don't be jumping into the bright and shiny stuff, right? Don't get distracted. Well, you've also like promoted <clears throat> arbitrage, though. So. We have, right? So I'll get to that. I'm yeah. sure I'm going to okay. say arbitrage. Which I almost put in the show notes. Right. I held myself That's back. That's my favorite word. All right. However, this is something that you can test very economically. Like, don't get distracted with bright and shinies when it's going to be super expensive or super labor intensive. But something like VR at this point doesn't have to be that labor intensive. You can get apps for the iPhone that can let you, or you can buy cameras for like two, three hundred dollars that can let you shoot VR high quality videos and publish them. 360 videos on YouTube and Facebook, right? So you really, you're very, what's your risk in doing that? It, it's very limited. And you can get the benefit of arbitrage because it is bright and shiny. We have clients that have done that. So it, it's great. The other thing to say is augmented reality, especially even more so than VR is, is going to blow up in the next 12 months, right? So Android has just rolled out a bunch of new, uh, code for people to develop apps embedding AR and now iPhone with iOS 11 is doing the same thing so app developers now are going to have a toolkit that's going to make it way easier for them to develop augmented reality applications so we are going to see what we saw last year with Pokemon Go we're going to see this blow up in the next 12 months so everyone is going to be using AR in some form or fashion in a lot of apps. No question about it. So can your hotel leverage that? Absolutely. So I would be looking at it, but not spending a ton of my budget on it. Just try it, dip your toe in it, and have fun with it. But don't go doing that at the expense of your email campaigns or your AdWords campaigns or the stuff that you know really works. But I still say that it goes back to our fact number one, where this could really enhance showcasing your property and convincing a consumer about the uniqueness of it if you did it well yeah if you if you are if you have a lot of meeting space and you host a lot of groups you better go get a 360 video camera and go shoot a bunch of that today and publish it so people can look at it in vr because if someone can walk through events that you've hosted and see the meeting space or a wedding or whatever it is that experience is going to entice them to want to stay with you it's a differentiator that the competition doesn't have and you can do it now very very easily amen yeah all right but not at the expense again of the block and tackle stuff that we know works fact five i saved this one for last this one is my favorite because it's about data and i might have to use the word omnichannel just hey girl once. your mama let you data <laughs> 
I'll see myself out. <laughs> did you just come up with that? Yes, I did. Oh, wow. This is why you pay me the big bucks. <laughs> five, five. I'm not five, even five, a dad. Five. Can I just edit that whole like last 30 seconds? No. Out? Five, 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 five. Travel brands can't ace experience without a single customer view. So what this is talking about is the fact that only 5%, 5, it's fact 5 and it's only 5% of travel companies have their data integrated across all channels and leveraging the opportunities that exist there. So most companies have all these separate little silos of data and they're using the data separately. So you're creating experiences that are well, inconsistent across all those channels. So if you think about it, as a hotelier, you have a PMS system, you have an email database, you have website analytics, you have booking engine data, you have surveys, you have reviews, you have all this information, but none of it talks to any other part of it. But imagine you could harness technology and mesh it all up and really get a really good 360 view of your consumer and market to them in the most efficient cost effective way wouldn't that be amazing it would be great so we say start small dip your toes in the water and i've got a couple of tips to maybe just get you going would you like to hear them i would love to I, right. I would want nothing more at this point in my life perfect Start with integrating your email database and your PMS. It's the most basic thing you can probably do to get two systems talking to each other. We can do that here, Fuel, shameless plug. Um, and start customizing your email marketing based on the behavior of previous days that you already have that information in your PMS. At the very least, please at least make a filter of people who are already booked and don't send them an email for the time that they are coming to stay with you. Don't do that. Yeah, you, they should be on a whole different cycle of what they're getting. Because so, we, we talked about this before. When they've booked, the stay begins for them. The communication rules completely, fundamentally change once they've made a booking. So you shouldn't be sending them special offers and deals anymore. You should be trying to upsell them. You should be trying to get them to anticipate their experience, to share their experience, to do all the things that are going to prime them so that when they come to your property, they're going to spend as much money as possible but have as good a time as possible as well. They should be on a personalized email campaign from the minute they book until when after they've left. And that brings me to my next point of using your email database as a true CRM system and start building profiles within that system. And you can start with the small things that you already know, but you just need these, you know, these attributes in the database to be usable. So for example, the booking history, the demographics, do, do this person have kids? Did they travel with the spouse? Where are they from? Are they, what state, what zip code? You can drill down as far as you would like to on that. I'm sure you have on-site purchases, dining preferences, what hobbies perhaps if you offer tickets or things like that, uh, did they purchase while they were with you? You have that information somewhere figure out a way to get it in there. Yeah, so even if you don't have a true real-time integration between your PMS and your email platform, hopefully you do, or you you can hire a, a, pro, a company like Fuel Travel to help you develop that. But if you don't, you can still export data and import it into your email system, right? So even something as simple as the date that they booked last year, if you can just get that out of your PMS and put it into your email platform, 
now you can start sending up, setting up triggered campaigns to say maybe 30 days before the date they booked the previous year, send them a specific deal for the time that they stayed the year before, right? That, that kind of sophistication, you're going to see such an uptick in conversion rate because you're relevant and personal to that individual. We did a whole episode a few, a few episodes ago about email personalization and, and that came up. But you've got to get the data out of your PMS where it lives and into your email platform or better yet, have your email platform read it real time from your PMS. I mean, data integration can be very, very difficult. But just getting your email platform and your PMS talking together is not that difficult. If you want to do a true omni-channel integration, that's pretty hard because there's a lot of different data sources that you can pull from. But just start with the basics like we kind of said at the very beginning. Start small, get your PMS integrated, and really do that well, and then just keep adding and adding. Once you have those profiles set up, adding more attributes to an existing guest becomes easier and easier. The problem is, is when every time you just start with just an email address and you're not starting to build those profiles, you're already starting at square one. So it does seem like a very daunting task. Exactly. And for me, this makes it easier to take a little bit higher level view. Obviously, you know, you can get as granular as you want with data and that's great being able to go that far into it, but really starting to identify your guest personas. So you know, let's say for example, you're a family resort and you're just kind of marketing to families and that's your approach. Well, there are surely specific types of families that come here and there's different ways that you can appeal to them. They want information in different ways. They're looking for information in different places. So you might have a multi-generational family and you have, you know, three bedroom condos that work well for that setup and you want to speak specifically to those people. That's going to be a lot different than a single mom traveling with two or three kids, you know? So just looking at this information and seeing, yes, you can get super granular and target them and do all these things, but then taking a step back and say, okay, who are the key audiences that I want to attract, who is coming to my hotel and how can I reach more people like these people? Yeah. And you know, there's so much insight you can gain when you start marrying the data together. You know, we, we have a product called the fuel gauge dashboard and and what it does is it brings together data. Like Melissa said, from the PMS, the website, your AdWords accounts, your SEO rankings, um, your OTA bookings, your occupancy, anywhere you're really getting data, you can bring it together. You know, we have a proprietary product that we use and, and you can use as a hotel. Um, but there are other third parties out there like um, Dash This is one where you can build your own dashboards by pulling in data from multiple sources. But what you can start seeing is how data correlates, which if you're just looking at your Google Analytics, you have no idea if your conversion rate just dropped what's causing that, right? Was it the website itself or do you now, did someone in, in your rate team just drop the rates on Expedia and now your OTA bookings have just gone through the roof but your direct bookings have decreased, right? So when you start marrying the data and bringing it from multiple sources, you can start to see how that correlates and where one thing on your website has been impacted by something somewhere else like on an OTA. So that's really where I think, and, and we've gone through this whole segment without saying the word big data one time, which is pretty Ooh. impressive considering we like our buzzwords here. But that's really the power of big data, right? It's bringing together lots of disparate data that t- traditionally had been in silos into something that's usable in a single application. Yes. Is that some big data or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> just stop. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> 
our and ratings you've been are going to pull on it. Hotel marketing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> our ratings are going to pull on it. We're going to get so many one star reviews. Yeah, <laughs> get this girl off of here. That's right. Wow. <sighs> Good so, one, Melissa. So that was five unbelievable, amazing, hotel totally pod? awesome facts, unreal, fantastic, brilliant facts. Hey, at least you can say walk away from this and say I learned five things. That's right. Yeah. And, and a few jokes. <laughs> if we can call them that questionable questionable all right so let's do a little shameless plug okay so we're going to be doing a webinar it's coming up on september 19th at 10 a.m eastern it's going to be the three tech maxims that are going to make or break your 2018 and you can get get the sign up at fueltravel.com slash webinar but we're going to be doing it. I'm going to be hosting it. It's going to be a roundtable format where we're going to be doing Q&As with um, Lodge IQ, Stay in Touch, and Travel Tripper. So three other great companies along with Fuel Travel. So again, go to fueltravel.com slash webinar and sign up. It's on September 19th at 10 a.m. Eastern. So we would love to have you join that. And with that said, Peter, where can they find you on the web? They can find me at... P. DeMeo. Wait a minute. <clears throat> Let me start that over again. They can find me on Twitter at P. DeMeo. P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And I'm not going to edit that out. Melissa, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at M.A. Kavanaugh. M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And thank you. If you want to share the love with Melissa and tell her how great this episode was, she was the culprit or the, the inspiration behind this episode. So good job, Melissa. Thanks. Go let her know. And Misha. You can find me on the Twitter at <laughs> Marketing Misha. That is Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. Easy to remember because I'm funny and my name is Me Is Ha. <laughs> <laughs> I like the little pointy thing you did when you said Me yeah. Is Ha. If only we had oh, video in here. It would be so much hand better. Gestures. I would have to start like actually making myself presentable, so let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Clemson shirts are not oh. presentable. Boom. All right, so you can find us on the web collectively at Fuel Travel. You can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can get the notes to this episode at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 62. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Broom, 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 broom. Mm. 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 Mm.